0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: It's a great time to be in the house of the Lord. And somebody agree this morning, it's a great time to be the church. Amen. We've been talking about a glorious church. And this morning we're going to take our text from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse... 27 we'll take a text from that and then we'll spend some time this morning in Genesis 24 and Genesis 45 the Bible says in Ephesians 5 and 27 that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. And for a few moments this morning, we're going to conclude our study and talk about the bride of Christ. Thankful for the church. And I'm thankful that Jesus is going to return for a church. He's going to come back for a church that is without blemish. Everything, everything in the Bible, every word has absolute significance. Every word is strategically placed, every concept is perfect, and it is without repudiation. Every story is an example. It's filled with warning, it's filled with admonishment, and every account that we read has absolute significance. The Old Testament points towards the New, and the New confirms the Old. There is, they're not separated from one another, they are a complete story, a complete covenant. It's a a picture or a story of God's plan from the very foundation of the world. In the beginning, we all know that he made the heavens and the earth. He created distinctions between the night and the day, and he formed man from the dust of the ground, and from his side, he created the woman. In that He created a relationship, a distinctive relationship in a relationship, all of which to show his eventual plan, the eventual culmination of the ages into what will be his complete plan for humanity and the church. Some might say a marriage A marriage, could you imagine this morning for just a moment being accompanied or being a party to an arranged marriage? (laughs) Perhaps a future husband or a future bride that you did not necessarily choose? Just think about that for a moment. That's much of the culture that we see in Old Testament Scripture. Marriages were arranged years before the wedding ceremony and could even occur when the bride and groom were still children. It was known as the betrothal process. It involved an agreement between two families. These marriages were not necessarily in the, in the onset necessarily made for love, but certainly was the hope of the parents that these two young people would eventually grow to love one another, but they were created, they were entered into as mutually beneficial to both families. I don't want to say it too crass this morning, but there was an exchange of funds that would take place in these processes. After the initial consultation between the families, the groom's father then paid a price to purchase his son's right to wed This bride. And so this became the dowry. This became property. And with it, the groom would also, of his own account and own accord, would present a gift of his own to the bride. And this gift became part of the property that the bride would carry with her into the marriage. And I'm going to resist. A lot of rabbit trails here this morning. It's been said a lot lately about the number of pages, and you don't want to know how many pages I have this morning. So when the terms and those conditions of the marriage were agreed upon by both families, they formed what is known as a marriage contract, completing this betrothal process. The groom then returned from that place and went unto his father's house and built a room onto that house where he and his new bride would live as husband and wife for their their life on earth. It was known as the betrothal process. Now in this moment, from the perspective of the law, both of these two people were considered married even though they had not come together in a formal ceremony even though they had not yet consummated that marriage together they were considered married this is a very significant uh, account especially in the story of Joseph and Mary when Mary became pregnant with Jesus Joseph a righteous man the Bible calls him sought to put her away quietly And according to Matthew 1 and 19, spare her whatever public disgrace that he could. You see, in this instance, divorce was required to break off the marriage and the engagement contract. How shameful would it have been for a betrothed bride to have have entered into some intimate relationship with someone else while her betrothed groom was a way building them a home. This is why there was so much social stigma and so much disgrace that was placed upon Mary. And so from the Old Testament to the New, this cultural concept, this this biblical consideration is mentioned multiple times in Scripture, and I believe it is for a purpose. Jesus used marriage to reveal biblical truths, as did the Apostle Paul. Because marriage is a big deal to God. It is a big deal to Him. He created it. He instituted it. And as human beings, He requires us to respect it just as He respects it. To understand biblical marriage this morning will allow us to understand God's ultimate plan for the church. And so with that, let's take another look at one such marriage. Genesis 24, 1 through 8. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my, sons, my, unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites whom, of, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go into my country, into my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again, the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath only bring not my son thither again. He was around 120 years of age. He wanted a wife for his son. But Abraham was very intent on that wife being from a certain country and not from the land in which he found himself in. Abraham did not want his son to be married To a Canaanite. And so he employed his servant to seek Isaac a wife from the land of his nativity. Now, round trip, it would have taken this servant nearly a year to accomplish this task. He sent Eliezer, the 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 servant, with plenty of supplies, ten, ten camels to carry them and gifts that would pay the price for Isaac's future bride. It was a journey of faith. It was a journey of faith on the part of Abraham that his servant would accomplish the task that he had placed upon him. It was a journey of faith that his servant would keep that promise and that it was a journey of faith that there would be a bride available and then there was a faith journey in that that bride would say yes. Can somebody say amen? She would have to say yes. She would have to be Willing to go. And so when the servant finally arrived at his destination. He staged his camels at a well near the outskirts of town. And very uniquely and very specifically prayed these words. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham. I pray thee, send me good speed this day. And show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water. And the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. This was no arbitrary, this was no blanket, this was no ordinary prayer, because this was way too important. Just to lead to chance. This was so much more important than anything that he had ever done. He had traveled a great distance and he had a very monumental task on his hands. After all, this would be the rest of his master's son's life. Life On earth, this would be his life. This was what he would be tied to, to the rest of his life. And so can I tell you this morning, this is not my message, but if you're here and you're unmarried and you're looking for a mate this morning, can I just admonish you to do one thing first? Can you just go to the Lord in prayer? Can you just kneel at an altar of prayer? Pray about them, pray for them before you even know them. And by all means, let God... God, do the choosing because after all, this will be your life. It's for life. Uh, against all the, the opposition in, the, in, the, in the, the mindsets of the world today, it is for life. And so as he finishes praying, he saw a woman carrying a water pot on her shoulder. Rebecca offered to give Eliezer a drink of water, and then just like he prayed, offered to give his camels water to drink. And he knew in that moment this was the one. Now I'm going to chase just a little bit of a rabbit trail here this morning. I'm going to go back to my previous statement. You know what Eliezer was really praying? He was like, Lord, please let this be a woman who doesn't mind working. Let me just qualify that this morning. I'm not saying this because there's problems in my own home. I hit the jackpot. She loves to work. She likes to work me. He prayed specifically. He prayed intently. And you know what God did? He answered the prayer. What a concept. When she finally finished given herself to him when she finally finished her task the servant offered her jewelry as a gift of gratitude, and then asked of her family. We're going here somewhere this morning. Rebecca revealed that Nahor, Abraham's brother, was her grandfather, and God had done exactly what Abraham asked. He did exactly what the servant had prayed. He led him right to where he needed to be, right where Abraham's relatives were, just as he had requested. Rebecca ran home to tell her family the good news. Laban, Rebekah's brother, met Eliezer at the door and entreated him, inviting him into their home. And the servant recited all over again the mission that was placed upon him, the request that had been given to him, and how Rebekah was the woman that God had selected for Isaac to be a wife. And then Eliezer, Laban, and Rebekah's father all agreed on a marriage contract for Rebekah, and the servant provided several gifts Hear me now for the bride. Price. He brought gifts with him. He bestowed them upon the family and upon her, and the contract was set. However, in a moment, Rebecca's family was somewhat reluctant to allow her to leave right away. They said, well, maybe she could just hang around here for a little bit. Maybe ten days she could stay, and then she can go with you. But the servant said, no, I've come a long way, and I've got a, I've got a job to do, and I've got to return to my master and bring him what he asked for. He was he was eager to return. And so in Genesis 24 and 57 they said, we'll ask her. We will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. They said, will you go? And she said, I will go go. Life altering decisions were made in that moment right there with just three little words I will go. It began with Abraham when God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees and said you need to leave your father's house and you need to go to a place where I'll show you. And he said Lord I will go. And so they asked her will you go with this man? And she said yes I will go with just three small words. With words, just small words, I will go, that would bring about a world of change. You see with those simple words, I will go. Rebecca entered into something greater than her. She entered into something that was much larger than what was even going on in the moment. She was she was p- pulling herself into an everlasting covenant with just three simple words. She would hitch her life to a blessing that was given many years before she was even heard of on the planet because God told uh, Abraham in Genesis 22 that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seeds as of the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemy. Thy seed, Abraham is going to possess the gate of his enemy. I'm I'm resisting a rabbit trail right now but Jesus She entered in right then and right there to an everlasting covenant, a covenant that she didn't have any idea what it was going to become. But in that moment, with those simply words, I will go, she entered into blessing, she entered into multiplication, and she entered into absolute dominion. Can I tell you this morning, she did it with no reservation. She did it with no hesitation. There was no stammer in her speech and no stutter in her speech. Step. They ask the question and immediately we see an answer. Will you go? I will go. For all we know she never saw her immediate family again. That doesn't mean that she didn't love them or care for them but she was not willing to allow anything to hinder her from walking into the plan and the purpose. I wish somebody would hear me here this morning. She was not willing that anything temporal would hold her back from an everlasting covenant. She was willing to step out of her familiarity. She was willing to step out in the unknown. The unknown, yes. They don't know what's going on. They don't know where she's going necessarily. But she was willing to step out into the unknown with God nonetheless. Can I tell you here this morning, the call to leave behind and what is familiar and to follow God is a common plan and a common theme in Scripture. It is not foreign to us. God God is calling us right here and right now to step out of familiar places, to step out into the unknown, to step out into what he's calling us to be and what he's calling us to do but we reluctantly are looking at the situation and we're saying but we like the familiar we like the familiar because familiarity always brings some, and even faults sometimes a sense of safety and security. You see familiar." feels warm and fuzzy familiar feels right because somehow we think we know what we can expect in the familiar and so that helps us to feel comfortable that helps us to kind of sink back into a position of comfortability but what we don't know is we really don't know what comes next even in the familiar we don't know what's coming next and so God is just saying why don't you just step out why don't you just give in why don't you just Heed my word and do what I've called you to do. The unknown brings apprehension. The unknown brings a sense of hesitation. The unknown is scary, yes, because we simply don't know. I don't have any doubt here this morning that Rebecca, you're talking about some some man that just showed up out of nowhere and said, God told me to take you into this other country to meet a man who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. For for all intent and purposes, you will never return to this place again. So did she have apprehensions? We can't look at this and think she didn't. She absolutely must have. Perhaps even fear of the unknown, but even so, above the fear, above the apprehension, above the circumstances that might hold her back, she had faith that God God would bring about his plan in her life that his word and his will would make a way and hear me this, this morning folks that irrespective of some opinions that is faith faith is not the absence of fear, faith is not the absence of trepidation, faith is not, I don't even believe that faith is blind because really having faith, faith is seeing that there are obstacles in our way, faith is seeing and understanding that there are unknown aspects of our future but faith is knowing that there are natural circumstances that may seriously cause fear and trepidation in our heart and in our mind but faith is rising up in the face of that and saying I will go I will trust God in the face of everything that's trying to come against me whether it's family or whether it's friends whether it's a job whether it's money it doesn't matter what it is I'm going to do what God has called me to do Faith is trusting in the plan of God in the face of all of that. Faith is stepping out of the comfortable. Faith is stepping into the unknown and following God with a whole and willing heart. And that is faith. And we can take solace here this morning to know that we don't have some high and lofty God who is just asking us to do this while he has no clue. We know that He knows. We know that He knows every thought and intent of our heart. But knowing is not necessarily experiencing. And so that is why there's not three, there's not two, there's one God who stepped down from His own throne into a body. While we know that God... Understands humans. He could not fully experience humanity without living as a human through the incarnation that infinite became finite he stepped down from divinity into a flesh and blood body and experienced all the same emotions that we experience he walked into the unknown he walked into humanity and he walked into a human world and now he's calling us to walk in this world with him By His Spirit. Can I just pause here and tell somebody something this morning? If you have some sort of fear or some sort of trepidation of stepping out with God and you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there's nothing to fear. Why don't you just lift your hands right now? You can have have that gift right now. And God can fill you with His Spirit and you can walk with Him. He's calling us to walk with Him. Jesus came to, re- to reach and to restore a relationship with humanity and to call out of it a bride. In the story of Abraham and his search for his bride, his son Isaac, we are provided a type of what was to come in that Jesus himself is looking for a bride. Only God did not send a secondary person to locate his, his, his bride. He did it himself. In Revelation 19 and 7, we see a glimpse of the culmination of that search. The Bible says, and I heard, as it were, the voice of great of a great multitude. And as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage... Of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Somebody say gifts for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Can I tell you this morning, he's looking for a bride. And that bride is the church according to Luke 19 and 10. It's why he came to seek and to save that which was lost. The severed relationship that occurred in the garden. That's what he's here for. That's what he came for. To seek and to save that which was lost. A relationship. Jesus' first coming. He sought a bride for himself. And for it, a price was paid. The father paid the price, resulting in the gift of salvation to the bride. It was, somebody say it with me, the betrothal process. The dowry was set. The bride price was paid when Jesus died on Calvary. And Subsequently poured out his spirit as the church was burned on the day of Pentecost. That, my friends, was the gift. That was the gift that was bestowed upon the bride that she will carry with herself until that wedding day day the church is now his it is married to him it belongs to him the wedding day is imminent but the time the day and the hour no man knows save the father because Jesus is making preparations he said I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself in his first coming he was searching for a bride and he paid the price but in his second coming he's going to celebrate his marriage banquet with that bride as they come together to abide with one another forever 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 for eternity so can I say it again it ought to be apparently clear this morning that Jesus that God it's it's important that marriage is important to God God It's what he used multiple times in Scripture to reveal his plan for humanity. He displayed his love towards us by the natural institution of marriage. Christian marriage is certainly not necessary, mind you, to faithfully serve God. That is to say that one does not have to be married in order to live for God. But biblical marriage, hear me now, but biblical marriage or the concept of faithfulness is required. We can adequately show the love of God to the world around us through our Christian marriage if we are married by loving one another, men loving their wives as Christ loved the church wives faithfully following their own husbands as the church follows Christ in addition, hear me if those who are not married physically they can show the love of God to the world around them by the concepts of biblical marriage that they are faithfully connected and adhering to the word of God and living a life that is cultural to what is being lived around them to simply be the church to simply be the church and to always hold the church in high esteem we'll slow down here for a minute on purpose always hold the church in high esteem because it's God's church. She's His. Can I say it like we say it in Hatch ben? Don't badmouth the church. Don't badmouth the church. Church is made up of people. So naturally, on this side of heaven, it's not going to be perfect. But God loves marriage. And he's married to the church. So don't badmouth the church. Because the church, irrespective of every other worldly opinion out there, I stand flat footed this morning and very confident in what I'm about to say. But the church is the only way out of this world. So don't badmouth the church. It's your ticket out of here. Don't badmouth it. That'd be like some refugee getting on a helicopter, the last helicopter available, and saying these seats are hard. Somebody turn the air conditioner on. You're getting out of harm's way. What does it matter? I don't mean to hurt feelings this morning, but we're not perfect. But Ephesians 5 and 27 said that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish and I'm going to cut against the grain one more time but that doesn't look like us right now. But thankfully in all of this God does not just love the church because it's perfect. However, within his love is the driving force of redemption. He not only wanted to save us, He wants to cleanse us, according to Ephesians 26, to sanctify it and cleanse it by the washing of water by the Word. And so for the only way that that can occur is for us to avail ourselves to the process and allow God to make us what He wants us to be. Let me say it like this. Come to church. Come to church on Sundays. Come to church on Wednesdays. If this word is being proclaimed, be here, be available, be availed to, to the word and let the word wash you. You're not perfect and you probably won't be until we reach those sunny banks. But hear me, you can be sanctified, you can be cleansed by the washing of the word. His Spirit saves us and marks us, but the Word is what cleanses us and keeps us. And so if you don't hear anything else I say today, if you don't remember anything else I say, God does not call the perfect. He perfects the called. God does not choose perfect people. He makes perfect the chosen and I'll qualify that because we are not destined to end here this is not the sum total of who we are or who we will be or where we are going because we are going somewhere I said it again I'll say it again Jesus is returning for a church whether there's three or whether there's three million or whether there's three billion God is going to come for the church. The church is destined for glory. The church is destined to leave this world as that last trumpet sounds and meet Him in the air and be with Him forevermore. We individually aren't who we used to be, but we have not seen what we shall be. We've been born again of water and of the Spirit and now this world is not our home. No longer do I have to seek this world for my overall sustenance and my overall life because now I'm married I'm married to him I'm no longer a citizen of this world and even though I haven't been there yet I'm a citizen of heaven because Jesus is preparing a place for me but we must be ready I'm running out of time I gotta hurry we must be ready in Matthew 25 Jesus shared a parable It's called the parable of the ten virgins. We won't read it for sake of time. These ten brides were friends of the bride. They were friends of the groom or maybe even both. Each had a lamp to find her way in the dark. Unfortunately, the bridegroom was delayed and only five of the ten virgins had brought additional oil for their lamps. At midnight, they heard that the bridegroom was coming and all the bridesmaids went out to meet him. But only five wise women had enough oil to keep their lamps lit for the wedding ceremony. The foolish brides asked the wise to share, but the wise knew that if they did, they would not have enough for themselves. So the foolish ran out to buy the oil, and and the wise waited for the bridegroom and his attendants. When the foolish returned, they found the door was locked. They knocked on the door, but the bridegroom replied that he did not know them. Jesus offered one final verse to interpret this parable, saying, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. In other words, be ready. Be ready. Be ready. All ten were called, but only five were ready. All ten were called to the wedding, but only five were ready to meet him. Ultimately, this is why. It will not come down, hear me now, we're going somewhere to the called because it all depends on the chosen Another of Jesus' parables, and I'm ending. Predominantly features, it's a long runway though, so don't get comfortable. All all that Jesus' parables that predominantly feature the betrothal process and wedding customary customary of of biblical times is the parable of the wedding feast. Ties directly into the parable of the 10. It's found in Matthew 22, 1 through 14. This parable of the Israelite betrothal and wedding custom depicts what is ultimately important and what we should make ourselves ready for. I mentioned it earlier. The marriage supper of the Lamb. This parable features a king who prepared a lavish, sumptuous wedding feast for his son's marriage. However, none of the invited guests attended. So the king set out his servants to find guests. but They either ignored them or they killed those servants. Angered. Yet unwilling to waste the feast, the king employed his servant to invite both good and bad, according to Matthew 22 and 10, to the feast. Everyone, whosoever will. The call was to all. While the king was touring his banquet halls, brimming with guests, he spotted a guest who was not dressed appropriately. For the... For the wedding feast, the king confronted this man about his inappropriate attire and the man was speechless. Consequently, the king ordered his servants to bind the man and throw him into outer darkness. And then Jesus concluded this parable with a very pointed and chilling statement. He said in Matthew 22 and 14, For many are called, but few are chosen. Now certainly, There has been confusion as to what this statement means. Many have used it to foster false doctrine or even false pretense. Let me make this clear. This does not speak to any sort of predestination or exclusivity. The Bible is clear. The scripture itself is clear that all, capital A, capital L, capital L, all were called The few are chosen statement has very little to do with the one who is calling. Rather, it places the responsibility on the called. Jesus appealed to the wedding feast to explain certain aspects of his coming kingdom. The king obviously is God. The king's son is Jesus, the son of God. The guests who were initially invited but later attacked the king's servants were the Jews. The guests who later invited, who were later invited, were the Gentiles. Somebody say that's me. However, the man without the wedding garment was an attendee who simply had not come prepared. Now, this would be a harsh statement if we only knew a one-dimensional aspect of all of this—that he didn't come prepared. Maybe he didn't have the means to come prepared. But to understand this scripture and this this. This custom is to understand the Galilean wedding ceremony. You see, in Near East Custom, it was customary that that those garments were provided to the guest at their arrival. Those garments were provided to them in order to attend the formal wedding event. They were given to them. They were provided, I'm saying it over and over again so we understand this this morning, whether you're here in this house or whether you're watching by way of our social media, they were given the gift. This man simply chose not to wear it. He simply chose not to wear the garment, yet he attempted to attend the feast and the wedding anyway. Can I say it like this? He did it on his own. He said, I will just do what I want to do, and I'll still be able to enjoy the overflow of the wedding feast. Jesus demonstrated that both bad and the good will be coming to the banquet. That is represented by the statement, many are are called. However, those who came prepared for the son's wedding, even though they were not originally invited, it is those who were prepared because what was given to them, they decided. They made the choice. I will put on the garment. That is what represents the few that are chosen. I'm I'm closing this morning and you can stand with me. And so if we are going to attend that great day, we must be prepared and we must choose to put on the garment Jesus has already offered it it's already been given through his blood through his death through his burial and his resurrection the offer has already been given the admonishment to put on the Lord Jesus Christ has already been proclaimed we do this by repenting of our sins we take Take off the old garment we are baptized in his name in full immersion in water and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and then we put on the new garment and we keep on that garment by living our lives unto God holy and presentable to him by his righteousness not our own righteousness not by ourselves that's the gift his spirit his word his death, burial, and resurrection and his righteousness and so we don't have to do this on our own we can take off our old man and we can put on the Lord Jesus Christ and in that day when we will finally be with the one who paid the price for us, who built a home for us, and who returned for us, we shall so ever be with the Lord, let me tell you something this morning folks, we're a part of something great, we're a part of something great this morning and we're a part of something that is designed and destined for greatness it is a glorious church it is a glorious church that is built upon the apostles the prophets and the revelation of Jesus Christ and you remember that earlier statement and the gates of hell this seed will possess the gate of his enemy that's why Jesus said and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it it's a glorious church that's built for a purpose to reveal Jesus to the world around it. It's a glorious church that is dynamic and it is moving forward and nothing by any means can stop it because it is a glorious church that is a glorious bride that will be presented to her betrothed without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. And if you want it this morning you can be a part of it. And if you're already a part of it, you ought to lift up your hands and rejoice because we're going somewhere on that great getting up morning when that last trumpet sounds and that voice goes out and he calls his family home, we will be with the Lord forever and forever and forever. Come on, why don't you lift your voice one more time and rejoice 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 and again I say rejoice for we are called we are chosen we are his we belong to him we are married to him and we don't want to sever that contract here this morning because we're going somewhere in Jesus name come on clap your hands one more time to the Lord